Hey folks, Eric Levine from Two Cops, One Donut. Want something better than Ring, Arlo, Ring, or any of the other quick launch home security systems? I've been having trouble with my Ring products. They don't read license plates on moving vehicles, the link doesn't connect fast enough to my phone, and I'm tired of getting notifications only to see like a glimpse of something that set it off. I was reached by a veteran-owned business called Agent Security. The owner, the staff, all veterans or former cops, they're Kind of like the Chick-fil-A of customer service when it comes to security. They have a system that does everything companies like Ring do and more. They have pivoting cameras that track day or night. They can also read license plates and catch high-definition details that will lead police more effectively to catching the offender. Their mission is providing the best home security systems to their customers. All you have to do is start the conversation to protect our most valuable assets, our families. They listen to your needs and come up with perfect customized security solutions to protect what matters to you most. You can contact them by phone at 713-962-3558 or email info at agents security.com or visit their website agentsecurity.com that's a-g-e-i-n-t-s-e-c-u-r-i-t-y.com they serve the greater houston area north texas and more be sure to tell them that eric levine from two cops one donut sent you this episode of the podcast is brought to you by impact tactical impact is a tactical outfitter for the men and women of our military police fire departments and other public safety around the country impact's core beliefs is that fearless men and women protect our freedom and safety should have access to the best tactical performance apparel equipment and tools on the market and they shouldn't have to go broke to get it i've used impact for about 11 years and i can attest that they do live up to their core values so you get a personal recommendation from me you can find them at impacttactical.com that's m-p-a-k tactical.com and be sure to tell them that two cops one donut sent you this episode of the podcast is brought to you by hrh combat arms they can turn your vision into reality they specialize in gunsmithing and seracoding your seracote specialist is air force veteran and retired police sergeant paul ware aka the sarge he can seracote your firearms auto parts tools even your sports equipment this veteran-owned business is located at 5025 saunders suite 103 Fort Worth, texas 76119 you can call them at 682-304-0363 and you can find them online at www www.hrhcombatarms.com That's www.hrhcombatarms.com All right, welcome back to Cops One Donut. I am your host, Eric Levine. Uh, today, my special guest is four-time author. Four-time author. You heard it right. Four-time author. I don't have the patience to read one book, and this guy wrote four books. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Glenn Topping. How you doing, sir? Good, Eric. Thank you very much for having me. Not a problem. Not a problem, sir. So I just so people know... Um, this show, we tend to get first responders, we get military, we get people all around the criminal justice system, um, some people that have been convicted on the criminal justice system, so we get all <laughs> sides of the house. Um, Glenn covers at least two of those angles, because he's a military veteran, um, a world traveler, and he also uh, did sheriff's department, retired, I believe, correct, sir? Yes. yes. That's amazing. That's amazing. So how are you doing, sir? How are things going? I'm doing pretty good. It's a little warm out here today in South Florida. South Florida. Oh, it gets sweaty <laughs> down in South Florida. It gets humid in South Florida. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah, horrible. I got family that lives in uh, Clearwater. 
Yeah, a little more north of me. I'm in the south end near Fort Lauderdale. Oh, living the dream. Yeah, living the nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> no hurricanes, right? Not yet. Not yet. That's good. Until um, the end of November. All right, sir. We got a lot to unpack, okay? Because okay. normally I can sit and talk to a military vet, and we could have a whole podcast out of that. Now, I don't know how you heard about my podcast, but um, I have several times on my podcast tell people, like, reach out to me. If you're interested in being on the show, reach out to me. You are the second person ever that has actually taken me up on that. Oh. And I, I think I responded to you immediately. It was like, oh, shit. Yeah, pretty, yeah, come yeah. on. Let's go. Tell me your story. Yeah, wow. So um, I appreciate you reaching out, sir. Not many people well, actually yeah, do that. But um, all right, sir. So I like to do the first part of my show is I call it the humanizing part. Um, I don't like to put a title on it, but everybody knows my formula. So where are you from and what, uh, what got you into service? So kind of lead me up to it. Okay. Well, I'm from uh, Queens, New York. Uh, but I haven't been back there since like the mid seventies. Uh, but I grew up there in the fifties and the sixties. Uh, my dad was a world war two vet. Um, I had, my mother had to have two sisters. Uh, they, where they live in different parts of the state. Um, yeah, growing up, uh, typical young kid growing up in New York, uh, always watched the old cop shows. They always thought I always found it very interesting and some funny. Like something like uh, Adam 12 and Dragnet and Highway Patrol. Just the, the facts, man. <laughs> Just the facts, right. And um, whenever I saw a cop on my street or near me when I, when I was at the playground, I would go over and talk with them and see what they were about and what the job was like. And I, that was like when I started very young. And then I just kept that as I got older. And after I got out of high school, I told my mom, they said, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to join the Army. I want to go to the MPs, the military police. And she didn't like the idea. She goes, you know, you don't need to do that. You know, but my dad was all for it because he was ex, you know, he's ex-military, right? So I did. So I decided to join the army and I was in 73. I'm dating myself here. Yeah. And I wasn't born yet. <laughs> <laughs> By 10 years, sir. <laughs> okay. There's a baby. Yes. Uh, so I went in, I uh, went through basic, went through MP school in uh, Fort Gordon, Georgia. Got certified as a military police officer. And uh, then I got transferred out to uh, Nuremberg, Germany as my first duty assignment. And my first year in the military police, I was assigned to the stockade, which is the pretrial stockade, uh, where the GIs were waiting to go back to the States to do their sentence at Fort Leavenworth. So about a year into that, uh, I got promoted to sergeant. I took the test, promoted to sergeant, and I got shipped to a road patrol unit in the same city of Nuremberg. And that was the 793rd MP Battalion. And over there, I was a 22-year-old sergeant in charge of about 15 to 20 guys doing road patrol. That's how it started. Okay. Um, I'm getting that feedback just started up again in your mic. Can you maybe pull it away from your face just a little bit? Maybe. Okay. Nope. It's still doing a damn. What the hell happened? Uh, folks, if you're listening to this, we started out <laughs> this. We were having some audio difficulties. Anything different? Nope, it's still doing that clicking thing. Just unplug it and plug it back in real quick. Let's see if that fixes it. Oh, boy. I know. Such a pain. We were doing great. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they fixed it. But now? Yeah, you're good. 
Why does it do that? <laughs> every few minutes. I know. Hey, if that's how it is, that's how it is. Um, Blame it on the state. Yeah, <laughs> it's the humidity in the air. Um, it is. Okay. So uh, you get into that. Um, now you got a little kickback from mom, but your dad. So do you think that's what drew you to the military was, you know, having a father that was in service and all that? Uh, yeah, I think so. You know, he served in World War II. He was in uh, in um, in Hawaii during the war. Okay. And um, and luckily, he survived everything over there. And uh, so I thought, hey, listen, it's I think it's a good thing to serve. Yeah. And uh, that's what I wanted to do, so I did it. My yeah. mom got to like it after a while. So policing back then, um, we're talking was was civil rights movement still pretty big back then, or? Uh, that was more like in the 60s. 60s. Uh, I, I know yeah. it started in the 60s, but I didn't know like what the vibe would be like, especially in New York. Uh, it was, you know, I lived in the suburbs of New York, not in the city. Okay. So it was a little different growing up than, than living in Manhattan, where it is you know, hustle and bustle and craziness. Okay. My best, I, had a, I had a good childhood back in the, in the suburbs. My best impression of Queens is just watching um, that movie, uh, <laughs> Coming to America. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> where he was like, this is Queens or hello Queens. And they're like, shut the fuck up or fuck you. And like, he's like, yes, fuck you too. <laughs> Love it. Um, I thought they were going to say the King of Queens. No, I haven't watched. Uh, I know what show you're talking about. I just haven't. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't really get into that one very much. Um, all right. So growing up in Queens uh, or in, in the suburbs, um, good life, good, Good life as a kid. Uh, yep. Dad was in World War II. That's amazing. Yes. Um, Navy? No, I think Army. Army. Okay. We had yeah. Army in Hawaii at that time. Yep. Would have never known that. Um, oh, yeah. He was in the Army Air Corps. Yeah, baby. That, that's the <laughs> <laughs> that's the granddaddy of the Air Force right there. That's my that's my neck of the woods. Oh, um, okay. cool. Yeah, it's Air Force. Uh, still, oh, nice. I, I'm still in technically. Um, oh, you are. Oh, yeah, okay. I do the reserves. Um, okay. Yeah, I do uh, all like you're required 24 days a year um, instead right. of doing one weekend a month, two weeks out of the year. I do all my time at once. So usually about March, I go in and I spend about a month at my base. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's, it, nice. it's so much easier doing it that way. <laughs> in pilot? Oh, hell no. <laughs> I'm not smart enough. I'm a cop. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I'm an MP just like you. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. okay. Nice. So I know you became an MP in the Army, and you go yes. go to Germany. Any conflicts yes. going on at the time? No, it was, it was fairly quiet. The only issues we had was with the uh, the Russian spies hanging out around the military bases. Oh, uh, it was something called the Soviet Military Liaison Mission. And these guys drove around in these cars. They had that SMLM tag on it. And they would try to sneak around the base and take pictures. But they, they were legal to do it. But you had to keep an eye on them to make sure they didn't get too close. So we would follow them around and shoo them out of the area if they got a little bit too close. And other than that, it was not really much happening. So you knew they were spies. and you Illegal spying. Yeah. Oh, I would have whooped their ass. Yeah, well, you couldn't. It would cause an international incident. <laughs> Stop taking pictures. Well, yeah, well, hey. Um, okay. Interesting. How how yeah. was your how was your time in Germany? It was nice. I had a good time. I mean I had a good guy, a good group of guys I was working with. Um did a lot of traveling while I was over there. 
Okay. Because where we because it's close to you know to Switzerland and Austria, Austria. Um, and then uh, you know do my thing, and then it was time to leave. They tried to get me to reenlist. I really didn't want to. I figured let me just do my my four years, and I did, and I got out. Okay. So you I do your, my honorable discharge, and that was it. So you do your four years. You come back home, and is did you immediately jump into the sheriff's department? No, the sheriff's office came was actually much later. I was at this point. I was thinking like, well, listen, I just did this MP thing. Do I really want to go back into policing the civilian side? So I really didn't pick it up for many years later. I was I was a lot older, uh, but I got when I was I, my friend and I moved down to Miami, Florida, to go to school, and then while we were at school, we got we got a job in a hotel on Miami Beach. And I was working as a detective in the in the hotel for the hotel. I did that for a few years with different hotels, which was a lot of fun. I got to meet a lot of celebrities. Nice. And then a short time later, I just said, "Okay, now's the time. I better make up my mind because I'm getting old." And I decided to <laughs> sign up, and I signed up with a small department, and as a reserve officer at first. And then they, I had to go to the reserve academy, which was about eight weeks long, and then I got certified as a reserve. And then about six months later, I got, they got called me in and asked if I wanted to go full-time. And I said, yeah, sure. So I had to go back to the regular academy. If that was another four or five months and I got my certification and then went on the road and I got certified. I got hired as a cop then. Okay. Oops. Oh, I just switched our cameras around. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I'm learning this as I go. Um, <laughs> you should know you're not a lefty. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> this this podcast is about educating the public um, and yeah. vice versa. It's about educating other officers and stuff like that. I found um, that was an unintentional consequence of doing this podcast. Um, so policing in itself has changed vastly since the seventies oh, yeah. and eighties and the nineties sure. and, and, and even today. Um, now in that change from being a military cop to switching over to the sheriff's office and stuff like that, like what were the major differences between being a military cop and a civilian cop for you? Well, it was the probably right. the severity of. Hold on, unplug and replug in. <laughs> We're gonna keep doing it. That's fine. I'll edit it. Say it again. Anything? Perfect. Okay. <laughs> it's so weird. It's got to be the iPad. It, it it has to be. It's just because oh, yeah, it's not. About that. You know, it's... No, no, it's not your fault. That's fine. I gotta get with tech support later and find yeah. out what tells wrong with my thing. Now, normally uh, I'll edit stuff. And, and but yeah. I think this one's actually kind of comical, so I'm not even going to edit this out. I'm just going to keep rolling with it. Okay, if you see cool. me put my finger up, just automatically redo it. Just, just, just don't do the other finger. Yeah. All. Sorry to interrupt. Okay. So go ahead. What's the differences between the military well, police the main, and the civilian? I think the main differences really are the, uh, the minor offenses in the military got you a more severe punishment than if you did the minor offense in civilian life and you got no punishment. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm sure you know. I've seen people, and in our generations are different in the military, but the punishments still stay the same. I watch kids paint rocks underneath the flagpole, <laughs> literally, like yeah. hand yeah. painting these little. That was their that was their punishment, right? Yeah, yeah. And the uh, you know the UCMJ is uh, handled a lot of bad punishments because I used to do these uh, extraditions from Germany to Leavenworth, with yeah. returning the bringing the prisoners over to do their sentence. Yeah. And, uh, you know, someone doing hard time, you know, murder and rape and a battery and assaults and drugs. Yes. And I go, boy, you're better off doing it in civilian life. (laughs) Military life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Big time. I, and I agree. Uh, the UCMJ, like, you know, 
it is, it's got a lot of leeway when it comes to its punishments. I don't think a lot's changed. Not even. I, I don't know, but I know it was tough back then. Yeah, not even from yeah from your era. I, I don't think it's changed a whole lot. <laughs> Probably um, not. They don't. They don't play. Um, they still like their prisoners and stuff. Uh, I worked corrections for a year in the Air Force, mm-hmm. and we were still marching them to oh, yeah. and from the Chow Hall. You know, Absolutely. basically on public display. It's pretty. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it, like you can't embarrass people like that in the civilian world. No, um, no. We had the same thing when I was in my first year in the stockade. Even though they were still they were in jail, it was still military. Yeah, it's like boot it camp on steroids. Camp. Yeah, exactly. Boot, you know, drop, sit, you know, run. Yep. Stand up, drop everything, salute. Yeah. You know? And if you didn't do it, we had something called uh, DSRD, which was disciplinary segregation with reduced diet. Oh no! We took the chow yeah. away. <laughs> right, so they would Shit. get their food in their in their single cells in a little ashtray, and that was it until they wanted to com- to comply. Oh. It didn't take too long. I bet it didn't. <laughs> Holy shit! Dang, I don't know if they do. You. As you walk by, you were okay. I don't think they do that one anymore. I never heard of that one. I'm sure so. they don't. You never heard of that? <laughs> no, I never heard of that one. Uh oh. Well, I can confirm nor deny that it existed. I think you're out of your uh, window for a statute of limitation. You're okay. <laughs> Holy shit. That's crazy. Okay. Oh, yeah. So um, in your career um, with the sheriff's office and all that, um, what yep. what was your career path like? Were you jails? Were well, you, how'd, how'd that go? Well, it was, well, first I started in patrol. Uh, which was really my my favorite thing to do because it was constantly moving around looking for stuff to do, looking for the bad guys. Um, then I got uh, actually a short time into that, uh, I got pro- I took the sergeant's test again. I got promoted, and I was a road patrol sergeant. And then uh, one after about eight, maybe about three or four months later, my chief calls me in, and there's a guy in the office with him in a suit. And I'm thinking, oh, what I do, All right? And it turns out he was the uh, one of the producers for the TV show Cops that was that started in 1989. Yeah, my dad was on that. Oh yeah, so I was yeah. on. I got selected to be on that show in the first season. So I was in about five or six episodes. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so they followed. They were actually in the car with you, following you around. Right. Yeah, no the cameraman shit. in the front and the sound guy in the back. What? And they followed me and did did just film whatever happened. Okay, you know. One of the beauty things of this is I get to look stuff up <laughs> right away. Oh, okay. So we're going to look up Cops Show Glenn Topping. If it even comes up that way. It may, it may not. It may. Let's see. Um, this is season one. Okay, let's try that. Um, season one, Cops Glenn <laughs> let's see. Let's see what we find. Uh, this would be awesome if we could find it right away. Uh, doesn't look like I'm seeing. Because sometimes they're mixed in with the other series, other episodes. Yeah. Anyway, you really have to go through all of them. And oh, that's your book. This I have a couple on my phone. Hey, I have a couple of Run. little episodes that I was in on my phone. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah. Well, it looks like you did a podcast with somebody else. Yeah, that was, was somebody else, yeah. Okay. Not a problem. Okay. Well. I'll send you one or two when they hang okay. up. Okay. Yeah, that'll work. It's 
maybe you can edit it in or something. Yeah, dude, that's <laughs> awesome. So yeah, my dad, um, he was more or less, it, they weren't following him. Um, he was a sergeant and, uh, the cops, the call that they were dealing with, he had to make the scene as the sergeant. So I got to see him on the screen a couple of times. Okay. Um, you know, as a kid, you already, sure. look, you already look up to your dad and, uh, yeah. just that, um, yeah, yeah you're, your mic again. Oh my God. <laughs> it's okay. All right. Disconnecting. Reconnecting. Good to go. <laughs> it's awesome <laughs> that it fixes it right away. Um, That's weird. It's almost like it's on a cycle, like a timing cycle. <laughs> it, oh, so weird. So, something kicks in. But um, so what was your experience like on cops, like behind the scenes? Like how fake, how real was it? You're breaking up a lot for some reason. Oh, okay. Um, so what okay. I was asking. I hear you now. Um, on your episode of cops or being on cops for several yes. episodes, how real, how fake, what was what was it like? What was that experience like? It was uh, totally real. Whatever you saw on cops is what happened. There's no retakes, no you know redoing of anything. Okay, cut, scene two, no, nothing like that. So the, whatever they whatever they filmed, they filmed, and then they would edit it for the show. So the 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 cameraman, everybody that was involved, basically putting themselves kind of in right. harm's way if shit went down. They were they were basically yeah. just a ride along. They would ride along and just film it. They weren't really allowed to get involved in anything. Even if you were to fight for your life, what they really weren't supposed to help out. But sometimes they did. I'd be like, "Bitch, come help me! I am struggling." <laughs> That's one of my things that frustrates me with other cops, and I've seen this in the field. Um, you know, you they're screaming for help over the radio, and you hear it. Yeah. You can hear it in their voice that they're having a oh, rough yeah. go. Um, you show up, you go running up, and I look, and there's four or five, you know, like, especially here in Texas, I call them redneck bubbles. There's these big old truck driving, <laughs> you know, country boys standing, standing yeah. by. And, uh, it, it's inevitable every time. If he just told us to come, we, you know, we didn't want to, you know, most people don't, they, they want to help, yeah. but they, they think that unless the cop tells me I can, I don't want to get in between it. And I get that. Um, totally right. understandable. Um, but it's always the same sentiment. If the cop had just said, hey, can you help me? Like, these people were more than willing to help. And sure. cops just never ask for help. I don't no, know. I always ask for help. <laughs> Hell yeah. I've, oh, man. Um, I got into it with this. Uh, it was a female. <laughs> She's about 100 pounds soaking wet. They're the worst. And Yeah. And I am <laughs> struggling to get her. I had her wrist, but... She was Gumby. Her elbow looked like it spun around like eight <laughs> times, and I'm trying not to break anything. And I'm like, "Lady, you got to give me your hand." And finally, I looked up and I saw what I describe as my redneck bubba's over there. There was two <laughs> dudes. They were standing by and they're watching. They're smiling. I'm like, you having a hard time? I was like, "Can you guys come help me a little bit? Just grab her legs for me." I was like, "I got to get yeah. these handcuffs." And uh, they're like, "Yeah, yeah, we're just making sure it was okay." And they came over, oh. <laughs> got control of her legs, and and that was it. And it actually right. kept her safer. And yeah. I try. I was an instructor for three years um, at our academy, uh, and I, I I've always made sure I've passed that on to the the I call them kids. I don't mean to say kids, but right. um, the the recruits that I taught, like, hey, citizens are on your side here. I, I don't. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily apply to all cities, but 
where I'm at, I can't mention where I'm at on this podcast, but um, where I'm at, the citizens are almost always down to help you out if you ask. So that's good. Just, just, yeah, just know. And I know Florida's very pro cop. So, yeah. um, oh man. Yeah, they don't have to ask it. They automatically jump in. Is it Broward County? That's where I'm at. Yeah, in Broward. It, oh, so you have that badass sheriff that's like, you know, they're like, why did you guys shoot 68 times? And like, well, we ran out of bullets. <laughs> oh, no, that was up in Polk County. Polk County. That's, a, that's Sheriff Grady. Yes. That right. dude. If they had more bullets, they would have shot him more. Yeah. You want to talk about not give a shit. That guy, right. he is, there's nothing been, politically correct about that dude. Well, he's been up there for like 30 years and 40 yeah. years as a sheriff. And his people keep voting him in. Yeah. Well, you love him. They love him. Look what he does. I know. He's amazing. Yeah. If you got any connections, I'd love to have him on here. <laughs> It'd be great. Well, listen, just contact his office. I'm sure it'll put him on. You think so? I don't yeah, know. If he, know. I'm, I'm love, small love potatoes, to, uh, man. But no, he would be yeah, very listen, cool. You got to start out somewhere. You do have to start somewhere. I mean, he's on the news all the time. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I'll give him all the publicity he wants. I know a lot of cops <laughs> around the country love that guy. Oh, uh, yeah. Just sure. like that, um, that black sheriff up in Minnesota. I, I don't think he's a sheriff up there anymore, but... Um, he was very outspoken for a long time. Oh, he was a Clark? Clark, yes. With the cowboy hat? Yes. Oh, you got a great memory. I can't remember yeah, I remember him. I've been yeah. knocked in the head too many times. I can't remember anything. You got that CRS syndrome, huh? <laughs> can't remember shit. You're damn right. <laughs> um, all right. So you're out there. Patrol was your favorite. Um, yeah. Any? Did you do any specialized things? Uh, what, was oh, your, yeah. what was your wheelhouse? Uh, well, my wheelhouse was really patrol, but later on I got picked to be on the, uh, I got assigned to the organized crime unit mm. and I was doing uh, drug smuggling cases out of the airport and the bus terminals. Oh, all off from Miami or I'm sorry, from, um, Cuba and stuff? airport. Well, they would come in from New York Oh, mainly okay. really? with, the, with the, with the cash to buy the dope down here. Oh, okay. And then we would, we would profile them take their money and tell them, listen, come back when you come back and get your money. Let us know where you got that money from. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a lawn service. I'm coming down with 200,000 in cash in my pocket right? <laughs> or the opposite. We would profile people coming into the airport and we catch them with a lot of coke. <laughs> You're fine. Good to go. Hello. Good to okay. go. We'd catch them with, uh, you know, kilos of coke coming into the airport or with the smuggling guns or silencers in their baggage onto the plane. Now, of course, security was very different then when it is, than it is now. This was like in 1990. Yeah, I was going right? to say, like, the difference in technology and stuff. Like, yeah. for every one you caught, how many do you think we're getting through? Uh, probably a lot. <laughs> you know, it's only probably, I'm just tell my wife the same thing. For every yeah. one you stopped, there's 10 walking by. Yeah. Right? Hey, but and if you, we had a big if we had a big seizure, we would get DEA involved. They would pick up the case, and then we would we would take the dope to where the final destination is with the bad guy, and we would finish the case. We would fly the bad guy up with the dope and us meet with DEA and customs wherever we were going, and finalize the deal on that end. And uh, several times I had to dress up as a UPS or a FedEx guy and deliver the dope to somebody. Oh, nice. And back then you had those real short shorts on anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, it was hot. Yeah. Okay, so were you working like joint task force where it was local law enforcement and um, all the three-letter agencies that could get their hands on it all involved? No, back then it was just our, the sheriff's organized crime unit that worked at the, worked in the airport and the bus terminals. 
Uh, we had a lot of good seizures, made a lot of good arrests. Yeah. Um, actually, one of our arrests uh, made it to the Supreme Court because the guy fought the fought it. Anyone? Oh. <laughs> it's in the Supreme Court filings. No shit. <laughs> yeah. What What was yeah. the What was the circumstances? Why do you want to fight? It was it? on a uh, It was on a Greyhound bus. Uh, we were walking up on the walking in the on the bus in the aisle, and we're looking around and. We see a, a there's a bag over this guy's head in the in the carry on, and we bring it down. He goes, "Is this your bag?" And he goes, uh, "Oh no, no, that's not my bag." Okay, now we're now meanwhile we're blocking his exit from the bus because he's in front of us and the and the entrance is behind us. Okay, so we found a bunch of dope in the in the in the luggage. Right, we made the arrest. His attorneys take it all the way up because they said that. If we had just left an opening for him to walk off the bus because he was he was free to leave at that point, we were blocked him, and it was a violation of his rights. Oh, so it went to the Supreme Court, and we they won the case. Fruit of the poisonous right. tree, so, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then you know, we didn't give the dope back, but um, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> so for people so listening, that, was, that one made the yeah yeah for for people listening. Um, Essentially, what happens in an arrest, if it's deemed to be um, unlawful, um, everything from the point on of the arrest is thrown out of court. It doesn't count. So if I were to stop, like in this instance, if I were to stop this guy on a bus and prevent him from leaving, and then we find a dead body that he had killed somebody, it would all of that would be gone. It's called fruit of the poisonous tree because we stopped him illegally from the first, from the get go. Now that's an extreme instance, but it it still works. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what laws broke afterwards. Um, so that's why it's important for cops not to violate rights. Um, in this case, um, there, there was a, I don't think anybody was intentionally violating rights or anything like that. Um, you're, you know, you're dealing with what you got in front of you. You're on a bus. There's nowhere to go anyway. And right. Um, so <laughs> just the way it goes, but you said you were about to say something. I cut you off. I apologize. Um, you were saying no, that made it all the way up to the Supreme case. court. And then they, yeah. Then we had to change our policy. We had to give them a clear passage, you know, if they're not under arrest. Okay. Which was no big deal. You know, it, it, everything turned out. We lost a case, not the end of the world. Yeah. You know, life goes on. Yeah. And you can always, you know, articulation. I try to tell this to younger officers, like articulation goes a long way. Oh yeah. Um, if if you're able to articulate in a, in a in a great way of why you were trying to stop and detain somebody, that may have saved y'all a big problem. You know, I I wasn't there. I don't know the circumstances, but right. um, things like that today uh, can can help you out in solving cases. So anybody out there learning wanting to be a cop or is on the path to becoming <laughs> a cop or is a new cop, just remember, report writing is your most important feature that you're going to have as an officer in my opinion and be honest yeah yeah be honest yeah please have some damn <laughs> integrity embellish. yeah don't embellish. don't embellish yep um yeah just just be human you don't have to write like a robot but uh, no yeah no boiler plating no what boiler plating boiler plating what is that i have never heard that, that means term. you have the same exact paragraph for the same exact crime you arrest somebody on <laughs> oh yes yeah the templates <laughs> yeah i've seen that a million times people have their own this is my burglary template and they're like right you know it was a dark and stormy night and da, da, da. Yeah. 
All right. So, so after that, okay, uh, go ahead. I applied for, I got on with the, uh, as a hostage negotiator on SWAT. What? And I was on that, I was on that team for 13 years as a negotiator. Was your ringtone like, we had phones then. Pagers. 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 Yes. Yeah. Got the group page. I had to go out. Okay. So how many, how many hostage situations did you get to deal with? Um, quite a few over 13 years. Okay. Well, <laughs> it literally, you yep. know, to try trained. <laughs> I like that you were learning the hand signals now. We, I'm, I'm trying to speak army language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. After the training, then it got on, then you got your first call. You trained with the chief negotiator. And then after a while, uh, I became like the lead negotiator, not the chief, but the lead negotiator. And I went out on almost all the call outs. And of course they have to happen at like two and three in the morning when you're sleeping. Right. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Nobody wants to kill themselves in the daytime. It seemed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it wasn't just hostage. You were dealing with crisis. Yeah. Crisis intervention, hostage call, barricaded yeah. subjects. Um, you know, uh, and actually we only lost out of all the years. We only lost two that committed suicide in front of us while we were talking with them. Okay. And in, everybody. in those two instances, did you have a feeling? Did you know? or uh, One of them, yes. The other one, no. Okay. I mean, this guy just wanted to do it, and he just did it. He shot himself with a shotgun while his wife was holding on to him. Ooh, damn. You know, she was unhurt. Yeah. He had a big hole in his chest. Oh, he shot himself and, uh, in the heart. Yeah. It was in his backyard, sitting on the ground with the gun right at his chest, and his wife holding on to him. Okay. And, uh, you know, he was hell-bent on killing himself, and he did. Damn. Okay, so kind of an important question. Uh, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but police work today. Um, we're, you know, it's not just military, but it's also police. We're losing, you know, 22 a day, 22 kills, uh, definitely a yep. big thing out there, PTSD and stuff like that. Yeah, so you got my band on. Hey, there we go. So, so you understand. Um, and in your line of work and especially in your era, that shit was not public. Nobody talked about that stuff or anything like that. Um, how, how was the, uh, I call it a cumulative trauma. That's how I was kind of taught. How did you cope? How did you deal with that type of stuff? Well, to be honest with you, I really never had too much of a problem with it. Um, if it was something that the chaplain would always show up, uh, he would say, Hey, you know, you're doing, you want to talk about this or not? You want to see me later in my office? Call me, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, I talked to him once or twice when I were on the scene, but other than that, I, I processed it pretty well on my own. I didn't let it get to me. It was just like part of the job. Sounds a little cynical, but that's how it was back then. Yeah. Just no, move, I, I move mean, on to the next one. You know, I think that's the same uh, today. I think that's how we all are. Some of us are able, like me personally, I've seen a lot of dumb, dumb shit, like crazy shit, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I've always had a good process for myself. It wasn't intentional. I wasn't trained. Um, but I I talk to my spouse when I have a problem and I I don't keep anything bottled up. And for the most part, I really don't have any issues, but not all of us are the same. Some people are different. And, uh, so I'm just Mm -hmm. curious, but it's, it's interesting. 13 years of you're seeing the worst of the worst. In, yep. in an area that has the worst of the worst. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it'd be different if you were a hostage negotiator in, you know, um, Mayberry, where no, you, yeah. your skill set's probably not really going to get 
used, <laughs> but you're in an area that, holy shit, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in that county. Oh, yeah. And it was kind of ironic because we had one call out where this guy high on cocaine took these two women hostage in their, in their house. And um, <clears throat> after talking to this guy for about two hours, I was finally able to get, let him release one of the women who was the owner of the house. So when she we got her out, it turned out it was my son's pediatrician. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. So we debriefed her. And uh, then we found out that, you know, he, the guy is still holding the, the, the other hostage, which was the housekeeper. And she, he had her tied up in a, in a, uh, in a chair in the bedroom. So the, uh, and he had a knife at her. So the SWAT commander is telling me, keep him talking. We're going to try to make an entry into the house. So two guys snuck over to the window where they could see inside. And the rest of the team went to the front door. So all of a sudden, all this gunfire starts. And at the same time, they're trying to break in the front door of the house. So by the time they broke in, the gunfire was over. It was very quick. Yeah. So apparently they shot at this guy. I guess he made a move towards the, towards the hostage. And the two SWAT guys shot the guy almost 52 times from the window, killing him, not, hurt, uh, un, not hurting the woman at all. I don't know how she didn't get a scratch on her. And then at that time, the rest of the team got in and got the lady out. Wow. It was very interesting. It was a long night. I bet. Holy <laughs> shit. That's yeah. incredible. What type of weapons were they using back then? The MP5s? I think they were the MP5s, I believe, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, that's for that many rounds, that, that makes sense. That's a <laughs> yeah. good gun. MP5s. Oh, yeah. That's a great gun. They're nice. Yeah. Um, I, I, I am not um, a big, like, I love guns. Don't get me wrong. I just, I, I'm not a crazy like i know every gun type of yeah. person um i don't even know what swat uses anymore i couldn't tell you yeah i don't know i, I know they don't use mp5s but i know uh, they use no, that maybe depends on where you live yeah that's true but i i think they're using the newer the new great stuff that's supposed to be like the improvement to the mp5 yeah. so I'm sure it's a nice toy yeah i bet it is <laughs> i would love to own one or two or three but <laughs> yeah. no, listen uh, you know it was funny that by uh about two weeks after that incident i had to go see i had my son had to, I had to take my son to the doctor <laughs> yeah i'm gonna do a little filler for you while you fix your mic real quick everybody's okay, gonna know because they're gonna hear it kick in and then oh really yeah you see, in the movie business, that means stretch out the scene, stretch out the <laughs> scene. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I had a point with this doctor for my son at the time, and at the counter, I'm talking to the two girls, and they go, I go, how's the doctor doing? You know, I'm the one that saved his life. Okay. Oh, yeah, you're the one. Oh, we thank you so much. And then they go, okay, $15 copay. So I go, what? <laughs> I go, you're going to make me pay this lousy $15? Right, yeah. You saved your doctor's life two weeks ago. yeah. I'd be like, that's come on, professional I go, courtesy. Okay. So when I saw the doctor, I told him that, you know, they charged me to come in after what happened last, last week. Said, well, that's, that's our policy. I said, okay. That's what the doctor did? I found you? a new doctor. Oh, I shit. I found a new doctor after that. <laughs> it kind of pissed me off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not that we do the job to get perks or anything like that. No. But when you <laughs> share such an emotional uh, life altering, you know, like I have a, uh, there's a guy I work with at my, my job. Um, yeah. he had a, uh, catastrophic heart failure. Um, mm -hmm. uh, a SWAT officer actually, um, catastrophic, like they call it the widow maker. His heart basically went into some sort of fibrillation like that 
Yeah. Unless you actually have an electronic, uh, like AED to, yeah. uh, or something like that to right. ch- alter the, f- I'm not a doctor, so I don't know what the fuck I'm talking <laughs> about, but I'm just telling you what they told me. Yeah. Um, it's like 2% of people survive this thing and you got to have some sort of like elect- electric, uh, interference to change right. the whatever. So well, I've um, used that on somebody on a crash where a guy went into cardiac arrest and we saved his life. Yeah. So my SWAT buddy, yeah. he went down, um, right in front of us and uh oh, wow. one officer thought he's having a seizure i didn't know so i was like well let me grab the aed because that thing's supposed to read your heart rate and let you know what's going on there so i was like just to be yeah. safe and um i remember the other officer that i was with was like no no just let him come out of this let him come out of this and i was like it's right there i'll go get it so i, I trusted my instinct and went and grabbed it put it on him and holy shit it was like stand back stay clear stand back stay clear and it fucking hit him like five six seven times um and it ended up being the reason he's still with us today so we're talking about you know you're looking for a 15 dollar copay that guy can't pass me without giving me a hug now i bet and that's that's both but like if he doesn't see me and i see him i'll just come up and hug him i don't give a shit like we are connected for life oh absolutely because i you know it's I have saved people in the field, like just yeah, Joe too. Blow Citizen. I've saved them, and, you know, awesome. Uh, it, to me, it's, it's that's that's all in a day's work. Right. But there's a difference when you save somebody that you've got some sort of connection to or you know or, yeah, sure. you know, something like that. Now, him and I, we were not like we were, hey, how's it going type of guys. That's how we were at work. But now we yeah. see each other. Like it's it's so much more an emotional oh, yeah. bond. Oh, sure it is. Yeah. That's good. Hey. Yeah. But yeah, your doctor's an asshole. So I'm glad you said yeah, it was, she was, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, what, so in your hostage negotiation, I, I, I don't mean, I don't want to stay on the, I want to get to your books and stuff like that, but that's okay. you're the first hostage negotiator. I know that's actually been in a place that <laughs> is significant and, you know, probably got a lot of business. So in that, in your yeah. hostage negotiation stuff, how often were were drugs related? How often was it uh, like just real emotional crisis that you were able to break through versus breaking through a dope induced <laughs> dumbass? I would say actually it's probably I would say a good seventy percent were the, the depression on over medicated. Uh, they didn't know which way to turn. A lot of despair. Uh, they just needed somebody to talk to. Um, I had a guy on the, he was going to jump over a, on an overpass onto the highway mm. and he was sitting on the edge. And after about 10 minutes, he tells me, I said, what are you doing over here? He goes, well, it's my birthday. Nobody wished me a happy birthday at my house. So I go, they don't care about me. I should just kill myself. I go, well, you don't want to do that. Just listen. If I tell you happy birthday, would you come down off the ledge? Okay. Like whatever his <laughs> name was. All right, all right, Bob, listen, happy birthday. I'm sorry your family did that. You have a happy birthday. Come on down. And he came off. Hell yeah. Sometimes sometimes it's that easy. Okay. You know, sometimes it's hours and hours and hours. Yeah. That's awesome <laughs> though. I'm talking to an empty house. <laughs> oh yeah. No, that that is true. <laughs> I have seen that. You're loud hailing. Sir, just come out to the, and you, you right. know, the officers on scene swear he's inside. Uh-huh. And you're yelling and yelling. <laughs> oh yeah. So we would throw rocks on the roof of the house to sound like somebody's walking. 
Maybe that would get their attention. Okay. If that didn't work, then I start breaking out a few windows. Yes, I've seen that. If that didn't get any attention, and then maybe there's nobody here. (laughs) That's so smart, though. I never thought of throwing (laughs) rocks up on the roof. Yeah. Holy shit. I you get well. I'm not out in the field like that anymore. I'm not a patrol officer, but uh, <laughs> that is brilliant. That's a good idea. I'm sure my guys yeah, like, know. Yeah, I'm sure they do. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not that tactically savvy. Uh, I, I like to pretend in my head that I'm Jack Reacher, but I'm not. So <laughs> <laughs> just Jack. Yeah, just I'm just Jack. Yeah, that's all. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but okay. So. Yeah. So it was a it was a good time. I had a good time being the negotiator. Now were you, know, you the a lot. were you the only one or were there several? No, we had a team. Had a team. Uh, at the time there was maybe see see maybe five plus the chief negotiator, which you know unless it was a real major one, he would show up on. Other than that, he'd have his guys do it. Okay, just have your regular rotation, whoever's yeah. on call. And uh, and I would mostly time get the call outs on it myself because I became like the lead negotiator. So okay, and then they would send up they would send somebody out with me. What was the training like? Uh, well, first you had to sit for an interview with the chief negotiator and the SWAT commander. Then after that, you had to sit down with the psychiatrist and go through a bunch of uh, testing, those MMPI testing, and uh, had like eight thousand questions you had to answer. That was horrible. Then he had to put some kind of this ridiculous wooden puzzle together in a certain amount of time and you couldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, then you had to go to a, uh, a training class that was put on by the uh, FBI's lead negotiator. And then you went on your own. Okay. How long did that whole process take? Um, well, probably not long, maybe within a month. Okay. That's all. It went fairly quick. Okay. So about a month's worth of training. And yeah. then. Then you went in the field and then you, you know, you didn't really do much of it except to really listen. Observe. Right. And then eventually you started to take over the helm and talk on the phone or you had a hostage throw phone we used or the bullhorn of the car, you know. Yeah. And then uh, after it was over, we would go, go, go in and diagram the house just in case we had to return. At least the SWAT guys didn't know where to go. Yeah. And that would become part of the after action report. Nice. Okay. Interesting. So, um, I've never taken, uh, I did do a hostage course, um, but it wasn't to be the negotiator by any means. It was just to be the, uh, first responder on scene and how to mitigate until the the pros got there. (laughs) So, um, sometimes I've been on calls where the, the deputy on the scene was doing fine. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, I I had a hostage negotiator go, hey, you got a rapport with him. Just keep going. Right, exactly. Literally, he didn't try to take over. No ego involved, no nothing. I was trying to hand that shit off as quick as I could because I didn't want (laughs) to fuck up. I was like, no, 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 you do this. This is your thing. You don't want to go to grand jury, I guess. (laughs) He's like, no, man. He's he's like, I'm telling you, you got it. You got it. He's like, "I'll, I'll give you tips if you need it. I was like, all right, cool. You know, yeah. and uh, sure enough, it, and it was always like exactly what you said. You just wanted yeah. somebody to talk to. And, right. Um, Most of the time. Yeah. And Unless they're shooting at you. That's a different story. Yeah, right. But in police work, you know, I, I've seen the jaded cops, you know, like, oh, they're wasting our fucking time. There's calls and all this stuff. People actually need us and they're using us for their therapist, blah, 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 blah. I mean, you, you mm-hmm. know what? 
<laughs> we all have a breaking point. Everybody's life's a little different. Everybody's yeah. um, family life and and training yeah. and um, education is at a different level. You cannot hold people to your standards that you no. that you live in. And as cops, I think if we take the time to have that empathy in those yeah. moments, um, it's hard to do because we do. We get hey. You got to handle these calls. You got to you're getting pressure from your bosses. You know, hey, oh, yeah. clear that shit up and handle the next call. Like you've been sitting on that long enough, and you're just like, oh fuck. And and we get in this mindset as cops, and yeah. uh, I think especially somebody like you who who understands the the mental aspect of uh, the, or the psych, psychological aspect of, of people in crisis. Yep. Um, it's important, and it's not that it hard. Important. It isn't that hard from our point. It's not hard at all. No. So, um, Just don't make it hard. Yeah. And I, the, the officers are going to have a hard time in the future are the ones that lack social skills. Yeah. And, and the, it's yeah. getting few and far between. I'm already seeing it, you know, with the officers coming out, um, the real young officers coming out. Their social yeah, skills world. are not that great. And, um, no. I, it's not that I don't think they can learn it. I just think they have an uphill battle compared to us that grew up. You know, I, I'm I'm kind of in between. I grew up analog <clears throat> into digital. Like, I, I seen the transition. I remember, right. you know, playing the stupid. You know what my video game was on road trips? It was a, it was a little self-contained thing of water, and you had to make the little circles... Oh, land yeah. on the post. <laughs> right. That was it. it was, <laughs> that's what right. I played with as a kid. Um, yep. And then Game Boys came out, and I the was Game fortunate Boy, enough sure. to get a Game Boy. <laughs> right. So, uh, but I, th- that's what I mean. That's the transition I went through versus yep. you. You were already in the professional world back then, so your your verbal skill set was at such a different level. Oh yeah. Than than even mine, and now you've got these. Kids, I say kids, it's not an insult, I promise. Younger people <laughs> coming through, um, coming through that their only real means of communication is on one of these damn things. Yeah. Cell phone. Well, they have no life skills. That's the problem. Yeah. You know, they come right out of high school. They want to get beyond law. Yeah. My, my wife and I. They want to be in law enforcement. Yeah. And how to do both. Yeah. Yeah, my my wife and I today we were just having a discussion. My thirteen year old uh, <laughs> legal working age in Texas is fourteen, right? And I'm like, you know, you got you got less than a year now. You just turned thirteen. You got less than a year. I was like, what type of job are you looking to get? And I'm, <laughs> she's she's a student. She is yeah. she's in orchestra. I I'm very lucky that she is such a smart kid. Yep. But at the same time, if I can find her a few hours in some sort of services, whether that's washing dishes, waiting tables, bussing tables, sure, anything like that, I want her yes. to get that experience. Yeah, and dealing with people. Right? Yeah, and my wife's like, no, she's focused on school. Da, 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 da. I'm like, school's great, but school is not the only thing that makes you successful in life. Yeah, and um, so that—that's where I'm at. That's the, the hot debate going on in my household right now. Is <laughs> what do people think? You know, like yeah. uh, for me, I—I I put a lot of emphasis in being social, getting out there, and getting outside of that book smart thing. Because the best cops I've ever worked with 
They don't have degree, and I'm I'm really talking shit about myself. I got a master's degree. That doesn't make me a good cop at all. But the best cops I've worked with, they didn't have anything. I'm so, just going to say that I've, I've, the guys had master's degrees and uh, bachelor degrees, and the guys that had the high school diplomas had yeah. no problem with them. Yeah, yeah, but and, and with the master's degrees, well, the book says I have to do it this way. Yes. Now, if they give me that book, I'm going to throw it in the garbage. You yeah. don't have to do it. <laughs> where where I think I got lucky is I didn't do this stuff till later in life. I didn't do my education side till I already had experience and yeah. all of that. And I think that was a big difference versus the kid that went to high school straight into college and now he's a cop and he's like thinks right. he's hot shit because well I've got this education and all this yeah. life experience because of your education. Like that's not the same, dude. No, you know. It's not. Give me the guy that worked retail for 15 years and decided to be a cop. <laughs> that guy's going to be a good cop. Yeah. Yeah. So it's nice to sit on the oral board for the new hires with the, uh, another sergeant or a captain lieutenant. Yeah. And we would see what was coming in to get hired on with the sheriff's office. And I looked at it after they left. I go, no, no, <laughs> no. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The good ones we had were the guys who were right out of the military. Those were the guys that we put in. Yeah, squared away. Right. Yep. The new, new protocol. New chain new of command. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, I, I like a good military guy. I just, the only thing I don't like about some military guys is they think because they went over and seen the shit that it's going to make them a good cop. Yeah. It's a different. It has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with it. It's right. very different. Um, yes. Or being a military cop. You know, I was a military guy. And I was the, the asshole that thought, oh, this would be easy. It's different. <laughs> It's very different. It's very different. I came in and, oh, yeah. you know, I thought that I had a great, now don't get me wrong. I think my learning curve was a lot less steep um, than most, but at yeah. the same time, being a military cop did not necessarily make me a good cop. It definitely was different and had, was def- yes, definitely yeah, different, way different. So um, my oh, yeah. very first fuck up was uh, my FTO was like, all right, you know, um, let's go make a traffic stop. I'm like, all right, cool. Now, I went to a shitty academy, and I was a military cop prior. Yeah. On the base, I didn't need, you know, a reason to pull you over. I just yeah. pull you over. <laughs> right. So here I am, and I pull this car over because he just told me, go pull the car over. Let's, you know, let's do a traffic stop. First car I saw go by, swung around, pulled him over. <laughs> We're sitting in the car, and uh, he's like, all right. And he's like, all right, let me. See, go handle, you know, go talk to her, go make your approach. So we go up there. He hadn't asked me why I pulled her over yet, which was probably his mistake. <laughs> but I go up there. I was like, uh, ma'am, I need your license and uh, registration and proof of insurance. That was the state that I was in. You needed all those things. So Right. In Michigan. So she's like, uh, what did I do? I was like, uh, I'll get with you in a minute. Just give me your give me your information. So she's, she's nice. <laughs> she gives me that stuff. I go back yeah. to the car. And we sit down, and he's like, all right, pup. He always called me pup. All right, pup, uh, what offense do we have? Like, I don't know yet. Let me dig into her name. You know, actually, I didn't have a computer yet. We didn't have a computer, so I'm calling over the thing. Right. Uh, you know, can you run this name for me? Da, da, da. And he's like, uh, and he's, I see him scratching his head, and he's like, no, I mean, what offense did you pull her over for? I was like, you said to pull someone over. I pulled her over. He's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> give me your stuff and he, give him your stuff he goes up there and i go to get out of the car to follow him he's like sit down and i was like oh, okay and he lets her i see her go drive off and he comes back yeah. he's like 
what the fuck? He's like, what did you pull her over for? Like you said to pull someone over. And he's like, he's like, well, you, you're military, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, (laughs) we're not on the base. You can't just pull people over. You got to have an offense. And I was like, (laughs) oh, you didn't say that. <laughs> you said to pull someone over. He's like, you know what? I appreciate the loyalty. He's like, yeah. but for now on, we need to have an offense before we pull people over. That's the difference between being a base yeah. cop and being a cop out here. He was a Marine who also was oh. an MP at one time. So oh, he, okay. he ended up understanding where I was coming from. So well, that's good. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, it, it's not been that bad. I think we've only had to pull and pull your mic thing out and put it back in maybe five, six times now. At least. I think it's doing better. We're we're doing all right. All right, sir. So we've, uh, we've talked about, you did the hostage negotiation stuff for 13 years. How did your career dwindle down? Uh, well, I was back on the road. Uh, I was getting close to getting out. I was getting close to my 25 years. Uh, I, decided that, uh, well, the agency was doing buyouts, said that you can buy out all your time you had on the books. Hell yeah. So I, so I go, well, I had a lot of time on the books. So they, well, they first, they started with the ranking, the, the captain, lieutenant, then they worked their way down to sergeants. You had to have at least 25 years in. So I did. And uh, so I took the buyout and they got a nice big check when I left. And I paid off my two houses and all my cars and I have no, no mortgages, no car payments. It's a good retirement. And, uh, yeah. And now I'm, uh, I, when I got out of, when I retired, I worked for a short time. I stayed out, didn't do anything. Then I got on with this uh, federal security company doing deportation flights with ice at a Miami airport every day. Okay. So I got to fly uh, every day to a different country with a plane load of illegals, taking it back to their home country, oh. and dumping them off and then coming back home. And they're like day trips. So I did that for about two years. And I got kind of tired of going to Miami airport every day because I live about 45, 50 minutes away and in traffic in the afternoon, it was horrible. Yeah. So I got out of that and I got on with the, uh, this uh, private security company as their operations manager. Uh, I did that for about six months and then a new owner came over, took over and dissolved my position. So then I saw something online. This guy was looking for driving instructors, but you have to be uh, ex law enforcement. So I, Tried it. I interviewed with the guy. It was the first guy he hired, and it's going on almost probably a little over 13 years that I've been doing that. Oh, my God. I get so car sick as a passenger <laughs> with people learning to drive. You get used to it. I can't do it. I tried. I was like, they're like, come on, be an instructor. I'm like, if I can't get yeah. over the car sickness part, I can't do it. Well, yeah. Yeah, there's no then way. I got certified by the state to give the test also. Okay. Because our company gives the driving test also. Okay. Um, plus, I got my private investigator's license years ago, so I also do that. That's what my dad's doing in his retirement. My dad was a law enforcement. It's the same yeah. department that I'm at, but um, yeah, that's his Seems gig. Like what everybody does. Yeah, that's his gig now. <laughs> he loves it. He, you know, he gets to pick yeah. his own hours. Like if right. he chooses not to work for the month, he doesn't work for the month. That's, that's right. And, and and that's what they their understanding is. But yeah, so you were um that close to Miami. My wife and I. This is a little side note for you. We go to Miami every year for our anniversary. Oh, nice. We just love the food. We like the atmosphere yeah. at night. Um, our our anniversary is, you know, right at the end of December, beginning of January. 
Yeah. Um, so the weather is still really nice. Oh, it's um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the crowd is not nearly as bad because of that. It's that time <laughs> of year. So when we go, yeah. um, I'm a sucker for Cuban food. Love it. Um, I do too. Sure. The, the one thing that I learned about Cuban food is it's delicious with the most basic ingredients. They really, really don't have a complex system for Cuban food, but they've figured it out. It is delicious. It's good. Yeah. yeah. You're in the right place for it. Yeah. Oh, man. So really like it. Um, like doing that. There's a, our favorite bar is called Swizzle. Oh, Swizzle, yeah. Swizzle, I've yeah. Yeah, I love that. It's like this, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like 1800s style bar. They wear the leather oh, really? aprons. Um, but... They just, you get to watch them make your drinks and they make the most crazy concoction. Like one drink that I really like has an egg in it. Oh, yeah, who, I've seen that. Yeah, who would have thought? <laughs> and I'm watching him right. make this thing and he cracks the egg open and comes back. It's all frothy. I'm like, dude, you just put a raw egg in this fucking thing. <laughs> and uh, he's like, just, just try it. Trust it's, me. A breakfast, it's a breakfast drink. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> Love Miami. Miami's great. So, but no, that's neat. You know what? What was your experience like dealing with the uh, de- deportation stuff? Like, I mean, were you? Was it breaking your heart? Was it one of those? No. No. <laughs> well, I'm just no. curious because no, you know, no, we'd uh, you know we pick, they would empty out the uh, the uh, the federal jail in Miami, uh, a chrome detention, and uh, these are guys that they they were ex you know felons. They were murderers. Oh, they were rapists, okay. They were, so they've already they broken the time. law on our side of the house, and right. we're just sending them back. And now okay. they're getting deported. Okay. So we would be on the on a on law enforcement flight. Um, you know, we don't have to go with any security or anything like that. We're just right from the the gate right to the airplane. Yeah. Uh, the buses, the prisoner buses would pull up. The guys are handcuffed and shackled with a belly chain, and uh, they we check them out onto the airplane. They sit, and uh, there's like 15 guards on the plane. Uh, the ICE agent a regular flight crew, uh, a flight medic, and a flight mechanic. And then every day we drove, we flew somewhere different. It would be South America, Jamaica, Haiti, El, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and then across the United States, picking up and dropping off also. Okay. So when you went there, we just, did, did you ever get time to go check out the sites? or was No, it? we weren't allowed to. You had to stay uh, around the airplane. What the fuck? Uh, uh, you can go into the terminal but you had to be with <laughs> that one happened quicker. All right. You're back. Okay. So you can go into the terminal, uh, but that was as far as you can go. You couldn't leave the airport. Oh, that's horse shit. Yeah. No, that was, the that's rule. why I would have quit too. Fuck that. <laughs> that sucks. So, but it was fun. I mean, in a way it was fun. You know, yeah. you flew different places. You didn't know where you were going until you were in the air. Were you armed up? Right? No, there's no, no, no weapons on the plane. Okay. Uh, the only thing that they had was the, um, just the ice agent himself. You know, people have to go hands on with somebody, but you know, they're handcuffed and shackled and belly chained. Yeah. They're not going to do anything. Yeah. Most of the nasty ones are the MS 13 guys. They were very, very nasty. Uh, right. Now I'm six foot five and they were like four foot 11 and they would try to fight with me. <laughs> You're six, five. Yeah. Six, five, two fifty. You yeah. are a monster. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Fucker. So they look, they're, so they're idiots <laughs> would laugh at them because what are, you, what are you trying to pick a fight with this guy for? Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit. I would have hired you too. <laughs> like we need this big son bitch. Let's get him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I did that for about two years. 
And, uh, and then right after that, I went to that security company. Okay. All right. All right. So all that, I was a, I was a bodyguard in the entertain in the musical entertainment field also. Really? That was before policing. How did you get, how did you dip into that neck of the woods? Well, I was working in this rock and roll club down here. Uh, it was a very famous club where a lot of up and coming musicians that are still around today started there. Okay. MTV started there in this club. Right. This is back in like 82. Okay. Right. Uh, so we had a, uh, we had about 16 or 18 bouncers that worked in this rock club and, um, the, uh, the head of the security team had a contract with the, with the, with the venue called the Hollywood Sportatorium where they did all the concerts and he was to supply personal security for the, for the bands and the groups, uh, when they were at the hotel, picking them up at the airport, taking them for sound checks, escorting them to and from the stage and then back to the back to the dress room and then back to their bus and they get out. Right? Okay. So we got to hang out with a lot of these rock and roll maniacs <laughs> over the years. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Nice. What, uh, what major, major people can you say you protected? Uh, it was, uh, Billy Joel, uh, <laughs> Neil Diamond. Oh my God. Uh, worked at ACDC <laughs> journey, Van Halen, uh, Van Halen was the best one because it was the two-day show, so I got to stay with David Lee Roth in the hotel with him. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. Um, out, of, was numerous. <laughs> out of all the people you protected, who was the biggest asshole and who was the coolest? The coolest was David Lee Roth. Okay. And the biggest asshole was Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond, really? Yeah. He was such a jerk. What? Yeah, he was. He had his own two guards, that his bodyguards. Okay. We were helping him out. And every time he got near him, he would like shoo us away, like, you know, put the hand like, like that, get away. They had to put fluorescent, fluorescent um, arrows on the ground to the stage because he was so drunk all the time. So he could find his way to and from the stage. <laughs> right. And then when we were done singing, we would ask get him from the stage, walk him back and his two guards would go, get away. And, you know, we were assigned to him, get away. Yeah. Right? And you're, and you're, then we would stand, out, stand outside the guy's restroom door. That is hilarious. Neil Diamond, really? I would not have expected that. I would have thought for sure ACDC or some of these harder bands. Well, Billy Joel was was real cool with us because we were my wife. I brought my wife to that show at the time. You did Billy Joel? Yeah. And we're in the dressing room with him and his group. And my wife goes, man, it's really freezing in here. So a guy takes off his leather jacket. Here, wear this. Put this on. Right. Yeah. And then we escort him to the stage. We do the show. And then when we're done, we're walking him out and he goes, I just keep the jacket. <laughs> and really? we get on the bus and they leave. Yeah. Oh, now man. where this jacket is today. I have no idea. I still do some <laughs> Billy Joel when I do some karaoke. I love it. Really? Hell yeah. Yeah, for sure. And David Lee Roth was very exciting because he was always looking for the, for the groupies backstage. Oh, so I if bet. He handed out all the backstage passes. Yeah, he would go, he would lean on my shoulder and go, "I want that one. You want? I want that one. I want that one. I want that one." Really? And I give him a backstage pass, and he would disappear into the bus for a while. Oh, jeez. And uh, you know whatever they did there. <laughs> so that would have been a bad. That would have. It, it may have been even more exciting for you had you not been married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. How long um, you been married? Uh, well, back then I was married for about 13 years and unfortunately my wife died of cancer right after that. Oh, I'm sorry. So I got buddy. remarried about a year later and now I'm married 26 years. Okay. That's unfortunate. Sorry to hear that, man. Yeah. Some things happen. Hey, 
Yep. But it was, it was a good time working with those lunatics. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you, dang, dude, that is amazing. That is a very cool story. I like that. Um, <laughs> so very, you have a, a pretty dynamic career going. Um, you decide to start writing books. Yeah. When did that start occurring? And explain the book writing to me. Okay. Well, the first one, uh, when I was working in the rock and roll club back in the early 80s, we had a drive-by shooting out front where one of the bouncers was shot and killed. And uh, actually, he died in my arms. I had my finger in the bullet hole trying to stop the bleeding. Didn't work. But Really? <laughs> that is incredible. So you're, you're plugging his okay. bullet hole up? Yeah, so it didn't work. Cause, you, know, you know, everybody's laying on the ground. He's not getting up. Uh, they, they, they drove right by behind me, and they shut out my windows on my car while I'm sitting in it with my roommate. So I dived out of the car, and I tell them, hey, somebody's shooting. Get down. So everybody's screaming and yelling, and the car peels out, out of the parking lot after the shooting. Everybody's getting up except this one kid, one of the bouncers. So I run over to him. I get on the ground with him, and I pull him up into my lap, and I stick my finger in the bullet hole in the back trying to at least do something. So then the medics get there, the police get there, and they take him to the hospital, and died in, he died at the hospital. Then these guys get into a crash about two miles down the road, and the police respond to that crash, not knowing they were just involved in this murder. So they do the accident report, and they send them on their way. Right? Yeah. So eventually they get rid of the car, they get rid of the rifle that was used. They both flee the area. One guy goes to Tennessee, one guy goes to northern Florida. I'll make a long story short, they both get recaptured. They get captured, brought back for trials. So during the trials, the first guy, they're both charged with first-degree murder. Uh, the one guy, it took three trials to get him convicted. They had two hung juries and a good trial. The next guy, first time convicted. So they both got sent up to prison in northern Florida. About seven years later, one of the guys gets raped in prison and contracts AIDS. And the family pleads with the governor to have him, if they can pardon him, so he can go home to die instead of dying in prison. So the governor grants that request and he gets out. Okay. Then about a year later, the other guy escapes to prison in a laundry truck and is on the run for over 10 years before the marshals finally catch him and bring him back. Holy shit. It's like some Shawshank <laughs> Redemption. Yeah, it's all online. You can Google this. You'll see yeah. it. Right? Okay. Uh, then the story follows back to the club, all the crazy, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll back in the night in the club. A lot of drug use back then, a lot of uh, cocaine use, a lot of quaalude use. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a lot of fighting. Uh, and that's where I met Johnny Depp, because Johnny Depp was a guitar player with the house band at the time. Yeah, he's got his own years, band now. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, we became fairly good acquaintances over the years. And um, Good guy? That's my, that's, yeah, he seems a real good guy. Yeah, okay. Real nice guy. Always curious. A little bit of a wacko, but he's, 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 all those guys are. Well, you have to be to be that. I mean, that's Jack Sparrow. I mean, you get, you can't, <laughs> you gotta, you can't be a normal dude and play that role. No. So I'll get, I'll get to a, a to a Johnny Depp story in a few. <laughs> all right. Uh, that was when I was working with the sheriff's office. I met him again. Okay. But uh, so anyway, so I had this idea of this this the shooting and what happened in the aftermath in the club would make a good movie. So I let it go for many, many years. And finally, I said, let me sit down and write something. So I got with the script writer in California. And we put together, at first, right, I, I, had the, I had the whole thing put out already, written up. It was 93 pages. 
but it wasn't in a script format. So I hooked up with this guy in California to write scripts, and we put a script together. And I couldn't use the real name of the club, so we came up with the name called The Hurt. That's the name of the rock club. Okay. Right? So the, it became a script. And then I was talking with this guy, this executive producer, who's the executive producer for the Amazing Race TV show. Okay, I'm familiar. Back in my cop days, when I was on Cops, he was the he was the cameraman. Oh, that's how I knew him. That's and awesome. So he moved up. <laughs> yes, he moved up. Yeah. So I got in t- contacted him online, and I go, listen, I got this script. Is there any chance you'd be interested in producing it? And he goes, yeah, I really love to, Glenn, but I'm in the middle of my 30th anniversary show, and I'm all over the world. I don't have time to do anything. But he said, why don't you make it, have somebody transform it into a book and then book to a movie? I said, okay, I'll try that. So I got with this lady in California that does that, and I had it transformed from script to book. Okay. And thus, I have the book called The Hurt. Gotcha. That's the history of that book. Okay. Where's the movie? <laughs> I'm still waiting. No <laughs> oh, shit. You need to know a lot of people, and it's a very expensive project to get it going. And this is where I would try to get a hold of Johnny Depp, because he's got a production company. Okay. He's got the money, you know. Well, but I tell you what, you got a guy. good damn shot of getting a hold of Johnny Depp <laughs> through this podcast because oh, I've got tens of tens of viewers. So you. Tens <laughs> <of tens>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Very right. cool. So that's the first book. The other one is the real story behind the hurt. And it takes place 25 years after it was closed by the original owner. So now that he wants to reopen the club is 25 years later. Oh, okay. I come to find out that this guy is really a uh, uh, some kind of an anarchist. He's really a, a bad guy, and he's very much into the Antifa and the Black Lives Matter movements. And he was your employer for a while. Yeah, back in before that, twenty five years earlier. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So he uh, he lets all these guys work in the club, like hiding in plain sight. So they can, at night, they can go out and cause havoc around the city and around the neighborhoods, causing fire shootings and bombings, and then hiding back in the club. Okay. That's what that one is. Okay. Then Operation 1600 is a political thriller. It's about a corrupt U.S. president that gets us into a nuclear exchange with Russia. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> when did you write this? <laughs> that, was, um, that was probably about six or eight months ago. Oh, okay, okay. I was like, <laughs> if you tell me you wrote this shit, you know, in 2015, I'm going to start calling you Nostradamus here. So, oh, yeah, right. Um, you're starting to click up, again. Oh, no, no worries. You good? Yep, we're good. Um, okay. Okay, so you wrote... And the Look a Quarter is a uh, autobiographical anecdotes. Uh, follows my life growing up in New York through the uh, police, military policing. Okay. And to what I'm doing today with the uh, everything we just spoke about. Okay. Very cool. That one's that one's a little more risque. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. Now, yeah. as a okay, I I wasn't joking when I said like you know, it's kind of funny because on paper I look like a very sophisticated, educated individual. I'm not. <laughs> I hate reading. I fucking hate it. I don't read. Um, you know, like my chaplain in the Air Force when I was still active duty, uh, he had begged me for about two years to read a book called Lone Survivor. Oh, yeah. Which ended up being a movie. Sure. And I gave him an earful because it was maybe a year or two later that Lone Survivor movie come out. 
And I was yeah. like, you asshole, you made me read this book <laughs> that I loved. <laughs> and a movie came out. I could have just watched the movie. Um, right. That, now, to be fair, that's the first time I could ever sit there and say, okay, I kind of understand what the nerds are talking about when they say, like, the book's way better than the movie. I get oh. it now. I finally get it. But I hate reading. I hate it. So yeah, it's not fun. Uh, you know, and I was trying to writing. Yeah. yeah and writing. <laughs> so as a person who writes for a living, you understand that as an officer, um, I like doing that stuff. Surprisingly, I really like writing reports, yeah. but, um, you know, when I went for my master's degree and whatnot, I had a thesis and all that crap. I didn't want to do that. I did not want to do it at all. So yeah. how in the fuck do you get the patience to write not just a book but four books well the first one the hurt was easy because i lived it it was something i was part of witness to and lived it yeah so that was fairly easy that didn't take really long at all that took maybe a, a, a week really to sit down and, and put the thoughts together and put them in in order so you have an understanding what's going on okay the others were time consuming because you you know you have to try to keep the keep the story flowing in the right direction. Yeah. And you're moving, you know, one paragraph over here, this paragraph's got to go over there. And this one's got to go on another page. And, you know, and it took, they, they took time. So it's about one a year. Okay. And, and with those books, like, um, it, you had to go through a publisher and all that stuff. Uh, yes. if there's any yeah, cops out there listening that may want to do what you're doing. I have zero interest in ever writing a book. So, um, <laughs> and, but there's plenty of cops up there that I believe should write books because they've had just amazing careers. And, and there's just, a lot of good books out there. That yes. A lot of cops wrote a lot yeah. of books. Um, yeah. a shout out to Michael Sugru, uh, or Sugru, I should say. Um, I had him on not too long ago and, uh, I was listening, listening to that guy. Yeah. You know, Mike, no, I don't know. I was listening to the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he wrote right. uh, Relentless. De let me, I don't want to get it wrong. So let me, I'm going to actually pull it up here. Because I just, I actually just did a, a refresher reminder on my Facebook page for him. I love giving shout outs to other cops and their stuff. Yeah. Um, so let me, here we go. Just want to make sure I get it right. Relentless courage, winning the battle against frontline trauma. That's what it is. Okay. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Here is the little refresher I did today. Uh, this guy. Oh yeah. Um, right. Involved in a shooting, all that good stuff. So yes, cops have great, um, great stories out there, and I think oh, books yeah. should be written about them and 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 stuff like that. So, what was the process like for you? How did you even dip your toes into that? Well, other than the first one, and actually even the second one, the the the, uh, the, the other one with the hurt, um, it was uh, a lot of research, looking up things on Google, uh, getting facts, um, and just just sitting down and trying to come up with a storyline. You try to be, you know, a little bit absurd, you know, embellish a little bit here and there. Oh yeah. Um, that's what cops you know, do. It's like fishing. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> right. It was 15 pounds. Right. <laughs> yeah. And eventually the storyline comes together and then I listen to the news and what's going on in the world. And maybe I, I incorporate some of those news stories into the book or into the, into the format. And eventually it comes together. Okay. Just a lot of back and forth. Yeah. That's all. And you didn't have any problems getting published or anything like that? Just, uh, no, I went through a self-publishing place. 
Oh, uh, you had to, you know, you, okay. you pay them a moderate amount of money, not much. Gotcha. And they do editing for you, and they do the you, you pick a book cover and mm-hmm. the formatting of the book, and and it worked okay. out pretty well. Okay, then so they, in the, you don't have to answer this question. It's just for my <laughs> own curiosity, and, and other cops that are I know they're wondering the same thing. Like, is it monetarily worth your time? At this point, no. Okay. Not really, because. Fair. Uh, Unless you go to a, um, a a big marketing strategy mm-hmm. where these that it gets very expensive, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you have to sell a lot of books in order to get like on the um, bestseller list. Yeah, I, I sell them. They're online. I get it. I get a little royalty check every once in a while that they they bought books, and I get a little royalty from that. And I sell them out. Of- yeah. You're good. Hear me? Yep. Okay. And I sell them out of my office when they're doing the driving school thing. Uh, actually, I'm doing more sales there than, than online. Okay. Well, I get a lot of cops that come in with their kids. They look, hey, what's that about? Hey. Um, by all means, um, my my um, private group page, the Two Cops, One Donut private group page, I'll, uh, I'll pop that up here right now. Um, this page that I'm on right now, if you see the Texas flag with our donut on there, um, yeah. pop your book on there. Or all your books, um, feel free. Uh, if you're not a part of that yet, um, just let me know. I'll send you an invite. Uh, it's not hard. Yeah, send me the invite. Yeah. But um, my our private group page, and this is for anybody listening, if you're a part of our private group, and I'm saying that with air quotes, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's just a matter of getting on there. I let people post whatever they want. That's the whole point of the private group post. Like if you're on there and you've got something to share, fucking share it. I'm all about it. Um, so okay. jump on there, share your book, sir. Um, and hopefully people jump on and start participating and helping support. Uh, dude, you've lived a fucking great life, man. I, I love hearing this stuff. I mean, uh, you did it I all. To, uh, you I tried did to it. dip my toes in a lot of things. You did it mm-hmm. all, man. You, I mean, you got the celebrity side with the private security <laughs> stuff like that, which is a lot of cops know exactly what you're talking about. Me personally, like I, not that I work private security, but um, I'm in a place uh, that a lot of big events happen. I and I've been there with Joe Rogan, uh, not Prince, unfortunately, um, <laughs> Kiss. Uh, Eric Clapton, you know, like all yeah. these real big names and stuff. And yeah. I, I'm right there. And it's amazing. Yeah. You get to meet these people. Sure. And uh, that's just kind of one of the side benefits of being a cop. And I yeah. uh, love it. I love that stuff. So to hear that you went from military uh, to the sheriff's department and and had the also the private security side, I mean, you've hit all aspects of it. And, I mean, I've always tried to keep my resume good. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I, I just hearing your stories, man. Uh, that's incredible. That is incredible. Um, I can tell you this though: if I visit Florida, your ass better be available because I'd like to come hang out. So, yeah, that'd be great. Sure. The um, end of the year. <laughs> so you said you had two houses, though. I, where's yeah. your other house? Do you use this? You got I have a, a house in the mountains in North Carolina. Okay, nice. Um, so I go there. It's like a vacation getaway. Okay. Yeah. It, yeah. As as for me, my goal is to have. I want to have a house in Montana, and I want to have a house when I retire, somewhere <laughs> other than the hot ass area of yeah. the DFW in Texas. 
Oh, um, it's horrible here. Yeah. It, it, oh, man. See, the difference is it gets 110 here. The humidity isn't that bad, although the locals will tell you that the humidity is terrible. Yeah. Now, I grew up in Michigan that's surrounded by the Great Lakes. That's yep. humid. Florida, I got family there. That's humid. Those, oh, yeah. You're surrounded by a body of water. There's a difference. When it's 80 yeah. and 100% humidity, that's way different than 110 and 50% humidity. Like, it's, oh, just, yeah. it's just different, so... Yeah, I don't mind the heat. It's just humidity that's brutal. Oh, yeah. No, you ain't lying. It, yeah. it's, it's bad. So, um, okay. All right, sir. So, talked about your books. Um, I want to talk about, like I said, I, I, I try to educate the public as much as I try to educate other officers and stuff like that. It's all about perspective. Yeah. Policing from your generation to policing now. What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong in today's generation of policing, in your opinion? Well, you, well, you know, back then in the 80s, um, prior to cameras, yes. uh, you know, now you, know, you, get, you know, they didn't have cell phone cameras back then when I started. Um, definitely didn't have the body cams yet. So uh, I think police were more apt to be a little more heavy handed because they didn't have any much eyes on them at the time. Right. Yeah. As compared to how it is now, where as soon as you get out of the car, you get 50 camera phones pointing at you. Yeah. Uh, surveillance cameras at every corner. Mm-hmm. So you're on, somebody's taking your picture somewhere. Yeah. So you, if you just do your job, do your train, do what you're trained to do. Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. Be honest and upfront with whoever you're dealing with, you know, you shouldn't have a hard time at it. Yeah. Right? The only problem is you got to deal with the some of these woke administrators and the, some of these woke uh, 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 what do you call it uh, government people in your in your communities. Yeah, politics have no place in police work. No, absolutely not. No, but unfortunately, you see what's happening. Yeah, at every turn, if some politician wants to do something with the cops or wants to get them in trouble or fired. Yeah, or disband them or get rid of them. <laughs> yeah, and it's incredible. Like um, when you think about. You know, you talked about there's cameras everywhere. And and the first instinct that I would have as a civilian hearing hearing a cop say, well, there's cameras everywhere. Well, what the fuck were you doing that, you, you know, you're so afraid of a camera? Listen, it isn't that in the 80s you were worried about a camera, even if there were cameras. It was accepted. Your police practices back then were supported by the public. It wasn't that they, no. weren't against, they were against what you were doing. When right. cameras became so readily available, the public started to see what police work looked like and they yep. became aware and they were like, Oh, that's what y'all do. Mm. Yep. That seems kind of brutal. Maybe we need to tweak it. Yes. We approved it then, but let's improve it now. Let's, 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 well, let's, let's adapt it. Like I always told my wife, you know, the use of force. <laughs> no, you're fine. He's, he's got to adjust his mic real quick for us guys. So okay, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that the the use of force is never pretty. No, absolutely not. You know, yeah, anytime you have to what get you have to do and what you're allowed to do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nobody says you have to get beat up or shot or stabbed before you can respond back. But Amen. That's the attitude of the public. Yeah. Well, why'd you shoot him? He didn't shoot you. Well, he just pointed a gun at you. Yes. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and it's important for the public to understand, like. Um, I've, I've talked about this before and people, I, I've had a couple of private messages, you know, some people, they don't, they don't want to put anything out on blast and I'm okay with that. 
Um, yep. But I would say this in public too. I've uh, somebody people they, like Levine. You said you would you would hit somebody that hasn't hit you yet. Yeah, and I'll tell you why. Like there's right. indicators I can tell that somebody's about to fight me or about to assault me or whatever it is. Um, sure. Clenching their jaw. You know, you're trying to talk to them and they're just biting down on their teeth and you can oh, yeah. see that clenched jaw. Um, balling their fist up or a fist pumping, I like to call it. I'll oh, see yeah. this a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the right foot drops back behind them. These are, these are indicators that you pick right. up over a lifetime of experience uh, mm-hmm. as a cop or, or even as a person that gets in the street fights. I got friends back home. They love the fight. That was the thing. Go to the bar, <laughs> drink, have a good night. If they didn't get laid, they're going to fight somebody. So... Oh. <laughs> and and that's just the yeah. lifestyle they live. I came from Flint. Right. Hey, that's what it is. What it is. Um, so I got some buddies like that, and I, you know, yeah. even those guys will tell you the indicators are there. So oh, yeah. do I have to sit back and wait for you? I see all these signs. You're going to fight me, but do I got to wait? Hell to the no! I no. am going to take every advantage I can get, and as long as I right. can articulate it. And now that we have body cameras. A lot of this stuff you get to see. Sure. And if you see my narrative, I'm like, I saw he bladed his foot back. He dropped back. His fist started to pump. Like, And you can see that on the camera. You're like, oh, shit. That's what he said in the report. I see this. Right. Oh, okay. Well, maybe he was about to fight. And when I haul off, and I'm a big fan of the open hand slap. <laughs> uh, I love it. Yeah. And um, anytime I've had to use force, most of the time, that's what I've got to use. Um, yeah. Because you know how it is. Well, maybe you don't. Big six foot five fucker. You didn't have to do much. <laughs> you know, you just blessed by Jesus. So um, for me, uh, who's 5'11", I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I would call myself an average dude. So 5'11", yeah. about 190. Uh, I, 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 I did what I had to do. And uh, a good slap usually gets that shock and awe. Of, did this cop just fucking slap me? And by the time he's trying to figure that out, I've already got his hands behind his back, him on the ground, whatever it is. So, no, folks, I this is kind of this is part of the education part for my show, Glenn. Is I, I want the public to understand how you and I see things, and then if they don't agree, by all means, they jump on the YouTube channel or they jump on my Facebook and they're like, Hey, you talked about this with Glenn topping and you said this and I don't, I don't understand or I don't agree. I think this and that, and then we can have some discourse and then we can start bridging that gap that, yeah. that inexperience or ignorance that they have cause they don't do the job. And, uh, I want folks to understand ignorance is not a slam. It is not me making fun of you. It's not a put down. Right. I don't know what you do for a living. You could be a paper copier repair person. If I were to jump on here and start saying what you all need to do for your job as a paper copier repair person, I'm (laughs) speaking out of my ass because I have no idea what you deal with day to day. So it's the same thing with police work. That's why I think they should go on ride-alongs and see what they really do on a night shift. That is my ultimate fix at the beginning for everything. For everything. If I ever wanted to talk shit about a doctor, a surgeon, whatever, you know, I need to go watch him do what he does for a day or a week, whatever it is. Same thing for police work. If you're going to hold your police accountable in a critical fashion, which I believe you should, I I don't want to sound like I don't think you should, but if you're going to hold your police accountable in a critical fashion, please 
go right. do a ride out with your local agency. See yeah, sure. what they do. Ask questions. You yep. think you'll be pleasantly surprised. I really do. Right. I think it's eye-opening. It is eye-opening. Yeah. And I thought, I was, at first as a officer, I think I kind of let some of the senior officers rub on me. Like, you know, anytime you get a ride in, you're like, fuck. You know, I don't want to <laughs> do a ride in. Um, and then when I started to, like, really, I don't want to say push against the grain or anything like that, but. I'm very community police oriented. That's what this pot, you know, I'm, I'm trying to improve things for cops and, and the community. Right. Um, yeah. So I really, I'm really into that aspect. And I think when that triggered in my head, you know, three, four years into the job, um, I really started to look forward to riding. So I'd see a riding coming. I got them. I'll take them. Mm-hmm. Like I volunteer. I used to get them. I used to get them all the time. Yeah. You know, yeah. I get to meet some people from the media. Yeah. Um, yep. I even had a pro wrestler ride with me once. What? Who? <laughs> Some guy. He was. He was a part of a tag team. This is in the eighties. Okay, I, oh, I'm a huge wrestling the, fan, so I might know. Him. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I was called. They were called the Skull Crushers. Okay, I don't know the Skull Crushers. I was like, I hope it's and the Von Erichs or something. <laughs> just one guy comes in. He's like a mountain of a person, right? Long hair, big beard, and I get called in. I go, this guy wants to ride along. I go, who? The guy over there, who that guy? What is he? Why does he want to ride along? Did y'all run him? <laughs> Did you run his background? Make sure he's not a felon. <laughs> how big so is he? Uh, how big you think he I was? Took him out. How big? Yeah, how big you think he? I mean, if you think he's big, you're six five. You're a big fucker. Oh, he was. A, he was a big. I'm. I'm tall. I'm, I'm not big. He was. He was he was at least two sixty, maybe about five eight five nine. Oh, okay. Oh, but he, so like, he, he was, was wide, like a gigantic, a gigantic muscle with a head on it. <laughs> <laughs> He's the Hulk. That was it. Yeah, and he was a really really nice guy. Yeah, and he goes, hey, can we go? Can we go get some drug dealers? <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Hey, good for him. Uh-huh. I like that. I and like we his... rode around, and he gave me an autograph, yeah. you know, picture of his of his tag team and. Okay. And uh, it was it was interesting. He was really a funny guy, you know. Interesting. That's but awesome. You get all kinds. I want to ride along, you know. Yeah. I just want to see what's happening out there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right, Glenn. Let me, uh, first off, <laughs> I want to plug your books, okay? Um, okay. You, you blessed my show. You came on here. So <laughs> if you are listening, listen, right now, if you jump onto my YouTube, um, I am showing uh, – um, Glenn has a pen name for two of his books. Um, one is called The Hurt uh, and The Rise and Fall of Extremist. Um, I'm sorry, The Real Story Behind The Hurt and The Rise and Fall of Extremist. That's one book. And then the other one is called The Hurt. And those are both by Josh Scott. That's his pen name. So I've got those books right now on Amazon, and I'm showing it on my YouTube channel. So if you... you Come on to the show. Check that out. You'll see that. Um, I got the books up right now. Uh, and then his other two books um, are called uh, Operation 1600 and Look a Quarter. And I've got Operation 1600 up here right now. Um, I don't see Look a Quarter just showing up by any means. But um, you'll be able to find those books on Amazon, uh, Kindle, tons of other places. Um, but check those out. 
and uh, help support my guest for taking the time to come <laughs> on to the show. Um, but before we go, Glenn, I, I don't want to cut anything off by any means. Is there anything else that you want to hit that we haven't touched yet? Um, well, it was, earlier we were talking about Johnny Depp. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. And, Let's talk um, about Johnny Depp. I'm all about Edward Scissorhands, <laughs> baby. Let's go. We were doing a, uh, there was a, a something going on in one of the local venues over here. Uh, they were doing a reunion of all these 80s bands. And I was in charge of crowd control. I had 10 other deputies working with me. So we got word that Depp is coming in by bus with his entourage and his bodyguard and a couple of family members. <clears throat> and we need a separate area for him so nobody bothers him. So we got a place for him behind this behind the building. We set up an area, a secured area. And I told my guys, listen, I know Johnny. I'll introduce you to him when he comes in. Oh, you're full of crap. Get out of here. You don't know him. Hey, no problem. So the bus pulls up. He gets off. He's walking around with some of his people. And I yell over to him, hey, Johnny, come here. And he's looking over towards my way. And he goes like, he's like, why is that cop in uniform calling my name? <laughs> so he kind of saunters over to me with his bodyguard. And he's looking at me and he goes, Glenn? I go, yeah, how you been, John? I haven't seen you in many years, right? So he remembered you. How you been? Yeah, he remembered me. That's yeah. awesome. He used, to, he used to call me the PI. Hey, is this the PI? <laughs> <laughs> so then I introduced him to the guys working. I said, hey, John, this is the guys, you know, working this, this show tonight. And they shook their hands. Hey, thanks for being here. We appreciate it. And then I go, all right, John, I'll talk to you backstage. And they leave. And then my guys go, oh, you do know him. That's pretty cool. I said, I told you I did. You know, I don't yeah. get starstruck, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's I'm the same. Story. I'm the same way. I, I've, like I said, um, when I met Eric Clapton, uh, I watched the show, you know, yeah. I knew Eric Clapton. I knew who he was. I love his music, all that stuff. Um, I know realistically how big he is when it comes to, uh, that genre. Oh yeah. And, um, we get to the end and, uh, I'm in the, you know, where all the buses are inside the arena right. and stuff like that. So, well, there he is standing, talking to some dude. I don't know who he's talking to. And um, much smaller man than I expected. Very small guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, no offense, yeah. Eric. You're just a small dude. And uh, he's talking and I'm standing there and I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to be released. I'm just listening to my radio and my earpiece and I'm just yep. waiting and I'm looking. I'm like, you Eric Clapton? <laughs> yeah, he says, sir. Yes, yeah. sir, I am. And I was like, hey, man, good show. I was like, you sound great. And he was like, thank you very much. And he shook my hand. Appreciate your service. And that was it. That was the, the, the stint. I met Eric Clapton. I didn't ask him for a picture. I didn't do any of that. Right. I lived in the moment. He's a very nice guy. And that yeah. was it. But yeah. starstruck. I mean, if I were to get starstruck about anybody, he's one of them. Uh, met uh, Joe Rogan, um, who's probably my favorite person that I met personally. Like I, I've, I'm big into jujitsu, so um, yeah. I started in jujitsu and in this. You know, there's different names. So you've got yeah. you know Gracie Jujitsu, you got Machado Jujitsu, all this stuff. So I yeah, started I took that for a while too. Yeah. So there's this one called Tenth Planet, um, by Eddie Bravo, which was started under a Machado school. So. Um, I was into that. Well, that's what Joe Rogan was into. That's how I knew Joe Rogan um, and heard of him was because of this jujitsu that I started when I was active duty. So um, that's how I got into Joe Rogan 
to begin with. I was like, oh, he's a badass dude, and he does Fear yep. Factor, and I remember him from, yeah. um, <laughs> what's it called, Radio something. He was on a TV show way back in the day. But, uh, yeah, I ended up working his show recently, and he's huge now. I mean, yeah. you yeah, we can't big. even. Yeah, we can't. Even, I mean, as far as podcasting goes, he's the biggest there is. So for me, I was like, "Oh shit, I'm about to meet Joe Rogan." You know, like, how do I handle <laughs> this as a person who's trying to do podcasting? I was like, "You know what? I've got these. I had. I got these made up. These uh, two cops, one donut sticker. Oh, yeah. Man, that light is really washing that out." Let me go to the brown one. Maybe that'll show. Yeah, there it goes. So I got I these like two one. cops, one donut stickers made up, and I was like, you know what? Just send me one. Uh, it, I, I was like, uh, let me shake Joe Rogan's hand. I want to shake his hand. I'll give him a donut from a cop, and it'd just be funny <laughs> if he ever decides to dig into seeing what two cops, one donut is. Maybe he'll reach out. Who knows? But that was as far as that went. But yeah, man, it is. It's interesting. I think us cops have a way of staying a lot more grounded around celebrities than uh because especially if you're working yeah yeah we see the the real shit um all the time and i i think just in the the way that our job goes in seeing the worst of the worst the best of the best the front row tickets to the best show on earth police work um when we deal with celebrities it isn't it isn't as big a deal for us no. In general. I, I know there are, right. I've seen some cops freak out. And, oh, yeah. uh, uh, but for the most part, I think we do a pretty good job when it comes to dealing with celebrities. But, dude, you, I mean. I even had a, uh, a President Bush story. What? You met President <laughs> Bush? There's a, okay, so I work a, the around older, a lot. The older of, Bush, not the young one, the older one. Oh, oh, okay, so George yeah. Sr. I was going to say, I yeah. got a lot of cops here that they've got a lot of George Bush stories, but George Jr., not George Sr., yeah, we were working the, uh, him and his wife were coming into the city, uh, the local city, to do something in one of the hotels. So I was there with the Secret Service, showing them around the hotel. Uh, the, the, another guy working with me, another deputy. So then we're at the front door of the hotel with the agent. The motorcade pulls up, and I'm standing on one side of the walkway, and my deputy is on the other side. And the, the agents are coming out of the car, and then it's followed by the president. And the agent in front kind of looked at me and stared at me for a second. He goes, I just saw you on Cops the other night. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And then I, and I start laughing. And then as he walks away, the president looks at me. And goes, I saw you on Cops too. <laughs> he watches Cops. <laughs> That's awesome. So the other deputy almost fell down laughing. He couldn't believe what he heard. That is hilarious. <laughs> All right. Before, before I end this, before I let you go, okay. Yeah. You have a wealth of experience. All right. In law enforcement, um, how can we, if you were to give the rookies of the of today any words of advice, how can we improve it from here on out? Well, just uh, to listen to what you're told, learn from your training, be honest, don't lie, because the lie is going to be worse than what you do, you're lying about. Uh, you're going to become a uh, a not very good witness for the state. If you have to go to court, because the defense attorney is going to know that you lied about something in the past. You know, are you lying now or are you lying then? Which one is it? So be upfront, be honest, do your job, and uh, don't pay attention to all the outside noise. And you'll be safe and go home safe. I like that. Well, brother, um, first off, appreciate your service in the military. 
I appreciate your service uh, as a retired sheriff. And um, I really appreciate you you reaching (laughs) out and coming on and sharing your knowledge and experience. And I really wish you nothing but success and happiness for the rest of your retirement. You earned it. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. All right, brother. It's been a great show. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it again. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. 